Welcome back, everyone. Hey, yeah, thanks for tuning back in to another episode of Eat, Pray, Judge. And uh, for all of our longtime listeners, I think that you're going to be pleasantly surprised. You're in for a treat because today on Third Mike, we have uh, a re- This guy is just, he might as well be a member of the Eat, Pray, Judge crew. He's definitely a member of the family. It's Andrew Harris for his fourth appearance Yay! Or <laughs> <laughs> <Poor> Pete! <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, this is like Bulls Championship legacy type uh, appearances on our podcast. You're right oh, now. Uh, what? You're the Guinness Book of World Record holders for guest stars or guest hosts. Guest hosts on an E Pray Judge episode. Wow! How does that make you feel? It, it it makes me feel very, very old since all of these things are very specific to the early 90s, including the Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I remember I used to love books like that. These um, books that just contained all the facts that are now irrelevant because we have the internet. I, I would have a Guinness Book of World Records and you'd flip through it and you'd see the two twins that were really big on the on the motorbikes. Yeah. Uh, and then there'd be like right next to that would be the guy w- who had done the most push-ups ever. And I uh, remember, I remember the guy, the, the man with the world's longest fingernails, and they like curled around into like a curly fry. Oh, uh, the Indian guy. Yeah, that was gross. Yeah, that was <laughs> really gross. Yeah, so it's like you'd have a book of that, and then like a Ripley's Believe It or Not book of uh, oddities and freaks, mm-hmm. and uh, and then there would be the the big the book that was like almost uh, the size of two. Uh, yellow pages that would be the pricing for comic books i had that book and uh you don't need any of that now because you can just google any of these things and get and get the answer i still or they just moved to web web format (laughs) i have i on my bookshelf right now i have four editions of the same book of oscar like all the oscar winners and so but like each year of course it gets updated Right. <laughs> so just trees getting chopped down for irrelevant information. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> but I do. I'm pretty good at it. Like I, I, I memorized a lot of that information. Yeah, man. We would we would do that. That's this in the '90s. Uh, and today we're going to talk a little bit about 1990. That year specifically, the year that I was listening to a lot of Paula Abdul. Yeah. Uh, and a little bit of the B52s. They were big. Love Shack really? had come out in 1989, but uh, but back then music had a longer shelf life. I think you'd I didn't be watching... realize that song came out that late. I would have picked that for like earlier 80s. Sure, because they seemed like old people already. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the 80s, had that whole fascination with the 50s. It was kind of strange. That's right. It, it did. Uh, well, I th- things move in like 30 year cycles. So it's true. If, and this if you was have, yeah, thirty years ago. Ugh. Ice Ice so, Baby was the uh, the <laughs> first uh, the first rap single to reach number one in the U.S. in nineteen ninety. Canada's <laughs> yeah, Canada's first uh, number one uh, rap Billboard single ten years earlier, and it was Rapper's Delight. Oh my God! So just first- a, another way that Canada's better the, than the, the U.S. The first number one rap single was from a white guy. Uh-huh. What did you, are you surprised? Oh, motherfucker. Uh, have, you not been, have you not been watching the news, Andrew? <laughs> no, it's too scary. I've been watching Charles in charge. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a time to regress and just watch nostalgic things from the past, which would be perfect for 1990. Um, the other films that came out that year that kind of are near and dear to our hearts here at Eat, Pray, Judge are uh, Pretty Woman, mm-hmm. uh, which we covered in the past. Uh, we, we have not covered Ghost yet, but it is part of our wheelhouse. And, what isn't uh, that, part of our wheelhouse? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Home Alone also came out in uh, 1990. Home Alone did. Dances with Wolves came out in 1990. I remember sneaking into the theater in Maza Gallery or whatever that little area was called. Friendship Heights. Yeah. See it? Bored out of my mind. I saw it with my grandparents. and That's, uh, who, they, that's who you should see that with? Yeah, they loved it. Kevin Costner is... Were they there? Is the hero for uh, grandmas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My mom... My mom is desperate. She doesn't know how to get the Paramount Network, but she wants to watch Yellowstone. Like, like it's like Kevin Costner and um, I can't think Magnum Magnum PI Tom Selleck. Tom, Tom Selleck. Selleck. Those are her like benchmarks of old gentleman hotness. Who now spends <laughs> who, who now spends all of his time uh, trying to weasel old people out of their homes. <laughs> He's like, hey, do y'all like reverse mortgages <laughs> yeah. and Magnum PI? I feel like if you reverse mortgages, I feel like if you have to continuously say that it seems, I know it seems like a scam to steal your home, but it's not. And it is a scam to steal your home. (laughs) You know? Uh, Well, this was a year. I mean, so the the end of the eighties, man, the end of the eighties, it's Mm -hmm. a year. The Berlin wall is coming down. Um, There's changes happening all over the world. Right. And, uh, and and Arnold is at the top of his game. Arnold. And the reason we bring up Arnold is because today we're covering Total Recall. That's right. And we're not going to bring up Cop Rock again. Because <laughs> no more Cop Rock references. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, although everyone should definitely try to YouTube Cop Rock after Please. you're done with our podcast. Do yourselves a favor. <laughs> and, 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 you know, it, you have to raise awareness. Yeah, something like that existed. So uh, before we move on, then I've got a friend named Todd Monesey. He's a comedian in New York. And a couple years back, I was in a, a short film that he made called Hipster Vice. And the reason I bring it up is because Cop Rock, I think it, it, if you like Cop Rock, you'll like Hipster Vice. The best part of the short film are all of these music videos that he made uh, all around Brooklyn and the East Village with um, comedians uh, pretending to be cops. <laughs> they were set to music set to music it's it like it's a it's a a completely absurd illogical um narrative that you can't really follow but mm-hmm. the videos are mind-blowing so it's just like cop rock it is exactly like cop rock right no one can make sense of that either <laughs> which is why why it yeah it, it didn't make it mm-hmm. but um but well, i love glorious experiments yeah like america <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, we, are, well, we, we tried. Are. <laughs> yeah, we sure did. <laughs> Never mind. Congratulations um, on a job done. <laughs> on a job done. And for anybody who you know, uh, R.I.P. to Herman Cain, a real one who passed away today <laughs> on the day that we're <laughs> recording this podcast. Yeah, uh, a true visionary who died for his uh, convictions and beliefs that uh, coronavirus wasn't real. Mm-hmm. I feel like it would hit the Republican slash Tea Party a little bit harder, but he is black and they are awful racists. So, sure, sure. Not the ripple effect we're going to want. Did but he? We still, 
We still have Gomer out there. Did, did Herman Cain die of coronavirus? Because I really yeah. like the comeuppance deaths. Yes. Uh, oh, okay, good. Good, 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 good. Or COVID-related deaths, which is the nice way. It's what they said about AIDS. <laughs> yeah, well, it's like the it's like the Chuck Woolery thing. You know what I mean? First of all, who the fuck is following Chuck Woolery on Twitter that this became a story? That's Donald Donald Trump is. My first question, but like, I'm kind of glad. Like, you know, you, all right, if you want to be an asshole, then it needs to come back around on you. That's my personal belief on that. Swift vindication, or like the uh, uh, you know deeply dug in. Uh, Congressman from uh, Texas, uh, Gomert, whatever his name is, whatever his stupid first name is. Gomert fucking Pyle. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, he wouldn't wear a mask, refused to wear masks, and then got it, and then blamed it on the fact that he blamed, had to wear a mask, yeah. which is just scientifically inaccurate. But that yes, was my, that was my favorite part of Mensa candidate Louis Gomert's. Louis Gomert. Uh, total Recall. That's oh! right. <laughs> so uh, this is. Um, this is a movie that uh, I definitely saw in 1991 on VHS. I don't mm-hmm. think I saw it in the theater. I was a little bit too young to see it in the theater, but I loved Arnold Schwarzenegger already, um, you know, from his earlier work in Terminator, which I was also too young to see, but loved. Uh, I, I saw that movie um, and I was a huge fan of Arnold since Terminator. And yes. That's the one I probably saw the most of his earlier works, that and Conan the Barbarian. Hmm. He, he was pretty famous by this point, right? Oh, he was super famous. He was world famous. Yeah. He was, an, he was a superstar. He'd he already loved- done Predator, Commando, right. um, a litany of other films. I mean, he was, you know. So, but he was already like movie star famous, not muscles from Brussels famous. Like, no, he, you know, he'd been in. That. He'd been in movies since I think Conan the Barbarian was the first oh, film he ever did. Or no, Pumping Iron technically was the first film. He's Austrian. Arnie's Austrian. That's and right. he's he's really funny in Pumping Iron. Uh, I yeah. saw that recently, and I remember after what he's like, oh yeah, when you work out, it's like coming. It feels like coming when you work out. It's so good. So like you know, I'm having sex, so I'm coming. But then I'm at the gym, and I'm basically I'm coming all the time. He did say and that verbatim. Yeah. I listened to him, and then I I tried. To, I did like 400 sit-ups uh, right after watching that movie because it's very motivating. And then uh, the next day, I couldn't get out of bed. And then three days later, it hurt to smile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, probably, you probably weren't uh, proteined up, Gabe, or, or stretched, stretched out. That's, that's right. I didn't know anything about physical health. I didn't stretch at all. <laughs> and all I could do was like listen to sad, uh, just watch like sad history documentaries because I couldn't, nothing that brought joy felt good. You know, like any anytime I smiled or laughed, it hurt. It's like when you crack a rib, right? Can't do anything. Yeah. Well, and even even right around this time is when he was going around to schools. I remember in California, and it was like jump for heart or something, and he would like just jump rope with kids at elementary schools. I think he oh, came yeah. to the schools in my city. The and Nancy just, Reagan campaign. The fucking Nancy Reagan. He was an ambassador for fitness in the U.S. Definitely a this is yeah, true. yeah, like a like a arm an arm of our propaganda. You know. I I believe that he came to my elementary school actually. That's awesome. In DC. Yep, for our field day. (laughs) Um, So that was something. And uh, yeah, so he was already famous. He was um, internationally famous at this point for being, um, you know, Mr. Olympian and uh, and Predator, which was 87. (laughs) 
and one of yeah predator which is 87 which is probably my favorite i mean that's a tough one but that might be my favorite uh arnold movie of all time so what was uh so sammy you picked this one for us today mm -hmm. um what's your relationship to total recall uh, my relationship to it or the fact that it was free on netflix okay so we're, we're watching this movie because it was free on netflix today awesome <laughs> Um, cool. So had you seen it before? Or do you have a, anything to say about your history with it? Yeah, Gabe, I do. Um, that, jo <laughs> that joke didn't go over well. Gabe got really angry. Well, it's okay. Just, yeah, I just mean, breathe deep for a second. That was a joke. Didn't hit. Don't take, it, person it, don't take it personally. That's this cool. is, well, the four times I've been on, this is the first time I haven't had to rent the movie. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, no, this movie was, um, when I when I saw it at eleven years old or twelve or however old I was eleven or twelve, it was um, the most violent, fun movie I remember watching. That for a plot line that I couldn't follow, um, and made very little sense. But I really liked the scientific, the science fiction aspect of it. And I don't like science fiction movies, but um, I just I remember loving the movie, and I don't remember why. And I remember seeing it available. And I remember wanting to, and I, and I just, I, you have these attachments to movies that you don't really know how or why you were attached to it 30 years later. And this was one of those movies where I, I loved it as a kid and I wanted to re-see re it with new eyes. I thought that the first time I had seen this movie was last summer, because I was like, I've never seen this movie <laughs> Because, but I, re I mean, I remember, I remember the marketing for it so well. I remember there are certain iconic images from the movie that I remember. Mm -hmm. And then it dawned on me that, yeah, this is one of those movies where I think it like a sleepover or something. Um, like we, we like borrowed one of my friend's dad's copies and like put it in the VCR like 11 o'clock, mm -hmm. you know, and, and watched it. Because I definitely, I have, I have flashes of memories of seeing certain um, pieces of that movie. The 90s it was like the end of the of the century right and everything was starting to be really futuristic and people were really like into like futurism almost a little bit and um i think that's where a lot of that fascination comes from like star trek the next generation uh was like at its peak right around this time um and that was very much a part of it and there's a lot of um there's a lot of futurism in, in action movies around this time. They all take place, a lot of them, the big ones took place in the future until you get into like the more contemporary ones of the mid nineties, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Like Demolition Man is another really good example of that um, yeah. uh, genre or, or genre bending uh, combo package. And I've, I've, like I said earlier, I've never been a science fiction guy. So I think it's the, um, absolute violence in this movie that attracted the 10 and 11 year old also the girl with three boobs there's like certain images from the movie to sort of you uh, never forget the first time you see that girl with three boobs like because it's one of those iconic images that just stays with you I, that's one of the things that i remembered i was like oh yeah girl with three boobs like that's one of the first things that comes to mind when you think of total recall i think yeah it was just this weird oh, sort of hyper hyper sexualized aspect of the movie but now thanks to the internet nothing's shocking uh when it comes that's to that I was watching this. I'm like, I'd let my 10 year old nephew watch this. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's that. You still would now? I think so. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I had to sneak and see it when I was about that age or a little bit younger. Yeah. But I think I would. Maybe not. 
it's pretty violent, man. <laughs> I don't know. I don't have kids. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I don't really care either way. Uh, but it is like I was after like watching it now. It is uh, incredibly violent. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I love uh, the director of this is Paul Verhoeven, and yep. he is uh, he. I consider him now uh, currently to be one of the more predictive directors of the 21st century. And right before this, he made. Um, RoboCop, mm -hmm. and uh, right after this, he made Starship Troopers. So those three films all together are, to me, like the best sci-fi of the '90s, of the late '80s and early '90s, in that they they hold up to like what what life is like now. Like when we're talking about BLM protests or uh, oh. you know defunding the police, RoboCop is such a great movie about what the police really are. And okay. it deals with uh, gentrification and like the um, sort of like uh, private, the private sector taking over the jobs of the public. And then with uh, Total Recall, this movie just, it deals with environmental racism. And uh, like those mutants are all mutants because the filters yeah. that they use are, are not good filters. So it's, it's Flint, Michigan, you know, it's like, the poisoning of public water. And uh, then with Starship Troopers, that's just like how we, it's the movies about fascism and it's where we're at right now as a country. Yeah. So, but his violence is so brutal and yet at the same time, hilarious and sleazy, which is yes. one reason why it's like all of these movies are so fun to watch as a kid. Yeah, it, it originally ha had an X rating. Um, <laughs> what? Before, yeah, before they had to trim some fat. Um, so they cut about 20 minutes <laughs> of violence out of this movie to get the, uh, the R, the hard R. They got an X for violence? Mm -hmm. Excessive violence. It's a violent <laughs> movie, man. It, I mean, it is, but like... like the body count is incredible. <laughs> we, I guess maybe I'm just... A, dead inside but like i was like okay yeah, this is what happens <laughs> like you know what i mean the to me to me the the most shocking act of violence in this is um when they're at recall and the woman slaps the like attendant for no reason whatsoever every other piece of violence is kind of justified i mean you know it's all protection and and fighting and not i mean maybe for its time it was shocking but looking at it now i i, I wasn't no part, like no part of it really was like made me gasp. There's neck impaling. Every single bullet fired is a headshot for some reason. <laughs> um, no, that's not true. There's that's not animal. True. A, lot of subway, a lot of the subway gunfire, they they get on the right. on the arms. Their arms get really bloody really quickly. And that was actually a scene uh, where he uses the guy as a human shield, uh, where they had to trim that down to get it to, right. to to a, a respectable FCC level. I do, I do remember having that moment like, where I was like, oh, this is just some guy. <laughs> like, yeah, nobody I'm cares. Literally just taking like an innocent bystander and be like, you die. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah, he was on his way. He Like he's visiting the city. He was on his way to go to like the, the zoo in town. He's a tourist, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, his friends told him, you really shouldn't go to that city, like wherever Arnold lives, because it's kind of dangerous. And he's like, whatever, it's not that big a deal. Like they've got security in the subways. Mm -hmm. And then Arnold, the hero of the movie is the one that uses him as the shield. So I think that's where the NC 17 rating would come in is, you know, the, the violence isn't, it's all, 
Verhoeven's movies are all really gray. Like the heroes aren't good yeah. guys. This is also Andrew and Gabe. This is our second uh, Andrew, Sharon Stone, and Paul Verhoeven movie together. Yes. Because he directed Basic Instinct. And literally right. cast, cast Sharon Stone after this. Sharon Stone, by the way, uh, did all of her own fighting coordination and, and prepped physically for this role for seven months. So much so that she was given an honorary pass to the Stuntman of American Film Association membership, oh, wow. whatever that means. So she it's was pretty like, dedicated. Well, you can, and you can see it. Like, it's shot. You can tell that it is her doing all the fight. Stuff. Yeah. He you wanted know. that fight between the two of the two women, the two, the, the two uh, female leads uh, to be, it was originally written as a cat fight, but he wanted it to be more martial arts oriented. And it definitely showed. Like, it was well, actually like a pretty good fight. That, I mean, that's, that's, yeah. And that, it's so funny because I, you, the tendency is to watch a movie from this period and be like, oh, look how dated it is. But it's, I mean, it's cool. Like the women, both of the women are very strong in their own right, which I really enjoyed because it gives them, they both have so much agency, which yeah. makes it more interesting. Because if there's, I don't know, female characters who are just sort of following along the guy, it, they're not, they're not interesting. But like the, both of the, of, both of the women in this movie, all two of them, um, <laughs> They're uh, yeah, they're 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 badasses in their own right, and um, yeah, I thought yeah, they they fight well, and it's yeah, they're not they're not just there to be to be arm candy, and I like I, it makes it a more engaging experience to watch. Yeah. I think. Don't and forget about the uh, redheaded Karen scene at the uh, Mars uh, bus station or whatever that was. I will never forget about that scene because <laughs> Gabe. Free. Oh, I was just going to say that the uh, brunette in this, her name is Rachel uh, Ticotin, and she is, uh, this was my favorite of the movies that she's done. And I, I liked, uh, like, agreeing with uh, Andrew. The fight scenes between them are, are great. Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah. And then we were going to get to, um, and then you brought up the Karen, who, who uh, that's, the, that's the big lady. Right, yep. who uh, Arnold is dressed as. That scene uh, gave me nightmares as a kid. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, this movie has a lot of grotesque scenes, and that I was going to bring that up as my fa one of my favorite scenes in the film, mm -hmm. if not my favorite one, because uh, because of the special effects and the fact that uh, he it's so sort of uncanny or horrifying to have her bald head be thrown at the cops yeah. and then continue to speak until it blows up. That's another one of those iconic images too, from from the from the trailer I remember is when he takes the mask off and it comes off in quarters like the top two and then the bottom mm. like it like reveals that it's him underneath it um, that because before you don't see in the commercials that you know the whatever that mask is starts to malfunction and freak out but what a wonderful this movie asks a lot of its actors that have to do those moments you know what I mean like. That woman was brought in to like short circuit basically. And she did it. They all do it with such fucking alarming gusto. Like um, whenever anybody's helmet cracks or whatever and their heads do the thing. Uh, <laughs> and they all, and they have to do it for so long. It's not, a, it's not quick. She just sit there and be like bah, 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 for literally like, it's like a two, almost two minutes. It's really fun. Right, she should get an Oscar for that performance as an MVP cameo. You know, they give out Emmys for anything these days. They should just do it for the Oscars too. That's true. 
yeah. Uh, so special effects wise, that scene is awesome. Were there any other special effects scenes that you that jumped out at you guys as being um, memorable? Oh, the cab. I, uh, the Roger, yeah. The Roger cab. Johnny cab. Johnny cab. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's no such thing as like an, a, a, a not memorable <laughs> special effect because there's some really kind of cool uh, sort of cutting edge ones. And then there's some absolutely ridiculous looking. And, and, and some lazy, like. Yeah, that's kind of what no, I was I, I shouldn't say, well, yes, there are, there are some, of, some of it, maybe it's the production design. Some of it, I was just like, come on. Like the cars. <laughs> cars I, were like, ridiculous. Yeah, the cars were stupid. There was in the in the Total Recall office, the receptionist. It's so dumb. She has a word processor. It's a remember word processors, no. which are basically fancy typewriters and yeah, yeah. computers, and then a monitor on top of it, just like a tiny little monitor. And it was like you just got that at Radio Shack. You know what I mean? You, they didn't even. There wasn't much of an attempt to dress it to make it look like we were in the near future or or. or the the production design definitely created a world and was very successful i think um like that but it didn't it didn't match the uh visual effects quite so well i didn't think yeah i think also uh you know, this the scene where the um i don't know what what to call that but it looked like the uh that power drill on tank we the 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 tank power drill thing when the rocks are sort of coming off those rocks looked yeah very fake and they hit her in the head and it made a weird sound effect well, and you right. could see that it was foam. Like it yes, was, you could it see was exactly foam when right. when they would break when because they would break through it. It was like like cotton candy. Like oh, here, here comes a tank. Favorite special <laughs> effect for me was when uh, the cab driver that he befriended, that ends up being the traitor. Uh, I want to say Freddie uh, oh, reveals Benny. Benny, your boy Benny. Benny. Oh, there we go. It reveals Benny, his uh, his cab. his mutant arm. That was my favorite. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice. The uh, I, I have to say that also um, was a, a nightmare scene for me. This movie had a lot of like disturbing images for me, mm -hmm. and I think as a kid, I remember that the most. Uh, Benny taking off his hand and having the bug arm. Um, another the Johnny Cab also freaked me out. A little weird. Yeah, yeah uh, the the uh, that sort of animatronic, um, uncanny valley, like and, and just face. why. It, it was so, it, I, I get why it was in there, but it was so antithetical to the rest of that world. You know what I mean? It didn't make sense that that's how, what cabs would be. Well, did me. you notice, so the Johnny cab is on earth. So on earth, maybe all cars are driven by robots, right? So like, uh, like there's no self, it's self-driving cars on earth and which would be like an Uber today. If you if Tesla ran Uber, there we wouldn't have real drivers. Well, I mean Richter Richter's driving around like crazy on Earth. Sure. Okay. Yep. Yep. So I'm I'm totally wrong with that idea. But <laughs> so forget that idea. But half the time he's on Earth, he's just in a car. Yeah, but Benny, but but there's no Johnny Cabs on Mars. No. Also, Mars looks like the worst place to own a vehicle. It looks like I mean driving <laughs> through like downtown Cal uh, Calcutta. I just it's don't like, understand why there's a Hilton on Mars. Who would visit? It looks like a shithole. Like, and they're going to put a Hilton there? Uh, 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 too much. I don't like it. Didn't like that aspect of it. Well, it yeah. shows how uh, <laughs> how unsexy it would be to like colonize another planet. 
you know um, yeah. the, the martian uh colony looks like a mall of america in hell yeah oh absolutely it looks like job of the huts uh real life uh whatever you want at bar like the, the last resort that they went to the uh you oh, know. venusville that's like the venusville. sexiest spot in uh the last resort is in that part of town venusville yeah. is where all the mutants live yeah that's the coolest part of uh the martian colony the red light district i, I disagree there's a jack-in-the-box um, in the <laughs> colony, uh, right. next to the sharper image <laughs> and uh there is i don't know if you caught it but there's when they're driving into venusville one of the bars it's just named sleaze it's literally what <laughs> on the I, I caught it on the um uh, it's a neon sign on more corrugated fucking metal which is all yep. bars in um it just said sleaze <laughs> it was like all right i get you I mean, that's the Hilton was where your suspension of disbelief stopped. <laughs> this movie. A comfort in maybe, but a Hilton, I, you know, who, <laughs> what are, no, because what are, it's just, it's terrible. And they, cause they, they, they allude to classes on Mars, right? Mm. They allude to, obviously most of the time we spend is with the, you know, the, the revolutionaries and the mutants and the underclass, but you see people who are in the restaurant of the Hilton the, the Hilton like factory, whatever it was, um, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're well-to-do. And there's some, there's a quick scene of some well-to-do people on the subway where they're like, oh, now we're charging this more for air. Oh, and they're kind of fancy, but it's like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't see why are there, there's nothing to do there. There's one business and one guy's in charge of it. So how are the, how are the classes on Mars really breaking down i don't it wasn't explained enough for me and it really it, it was distracting mm -hmm. sure i mean i think that they could make a whole series on just life in mars uh around this and it would be a a metaphor for like living in a third world country where you've got one product well it's a it's a mono product um like colony where it's turbidium which they have to extract and then send around the galaxy so all of these middle class people are like you know they're the they're the masseuses and the PR agents and the lawyers for the contracts. The sales, sales, P I, I, I guess. Yeah, and the engineers. Yeah. Halliburton. <laughs> right, right. It's like the green zone in yeah. Iraq. Exactly. Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's, it's the whole idea of Martian society. It just seemed like Martian, like Mar Martian society was shit. So I didn't, I didn't understand why there would be wealthy people other than the one guy. You know what I mean? Right. Well, you got to have a couple buddies to have at the uh, at the country club. Yeah. You know, it can't be so it, it would be too um, psychologically alienating for the guy at the top unless he had his own Mar-a-Lago. You know, right. so that's that's what that that's what those people are. Yeah. Okay. Instead and of I, just just one henchman. One, uh, <laughs> right, right. henchman. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. can't just be he can't be like, hey, I'm having a party tonight. And it like the only person at the party is Richter. <laughs> and like Sharon Stone isn't even there because she's like because Richter's being cucked by Arnold the whole movie right <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah so can, can we talk about something that's always upset me about um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, like movies is why is he always given the most Anglo-American name and he has this deep, thick Austrian act. Like, you know, he gets names like John Quaid. <laughs> and that dude's name should, it, it, they, they make him like, and that's such a, 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 an irresponsible American take on it. Where it's like, my name's Jefferson Johnson Davis. I live on 54 Maplethorpe Drive. It's like, no, you don't, dude. 
your name should be Gunther Eichel, um, <laughs> like an expat, like an Austrian expat who decided to come to America. Like it, it's just funny the way the writing is. It's it's which is I feel like you could you could fix that up a little bit. The writers, like director, that. are all Dutch, so they could have added some European flair. I mean, we're well into the 21st century at this point. Yeah, they could have. I, I see your point. Or just stop pretending he's American when he's not. It's it's silly, even though he was a governor. But I, well, you, you, are, you know what I mean. There are no like America doesn't exist, right? In this movie, it's because it's credits and Earth and Mars. It's like you get the sense governments have shifted. Yeah, I think the whole thing is America, right? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like the entire planet is America, even though I they mean, filmed it in Mexico City. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I looked it up because I was like, "Where?" Because they were clearly practical sets, and mm-hmm. I'm like, "Where the hell is this like weird quasi-communist industrial?" I thought it was going to be like Belgium or something, and when I saw that it was Mexico City, I was like, "What?" Because well, they have the most futuristic-looking architecture, but you know, as far as like cheaper, uh, convenient places to film, that was their choice, I think. It, get the Fuji film sign. Yeah. Like that was all real Mexico yeah. City. Well, and I think the, the thing I liked about it too is that it wasn't it wasn't totally dystopic. It wasn't post-apocalyptic. It was just sort of like oh, a, yeah. an unpleasant Absolutely. version of whatever future exists. It wasn't it wasn't horrendous. It wasn't robot jocks, um, which is just like that future is just sad, you know what I mean? Or or soylent green or something. <laughs> like that it was just an unappealing version of the future not something that like i would be horrified to live in i guess i wrote down that this was the the setting was the ugliest future i could imagine (laughs) (laughs) and and it's uh it's so ugly because it's absent of life there's nothing there and and it's also absent of color and and art um if you look at where arnold lives on earth it is it is this hyper brutalist um, architecture that's all like concrete, and and there's no distinction between the subway and the street and the parking lots and his apartment. They're a, all versions of gray. Yeah, and his apartment looks like a Japanese hostel. <laughs> uh, and and uh, and even what he eats, um, you know, in the, in the morning after he makes love to Sharon Stone, he's eating. Uh, he's making himself like the grossest looking smoothie. Yeah, with a <laughs> with a vibrator. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the counter, it's like Verhoeven was like, "Okay, we just need to put a, a mishmash of um of bottled condiments." So there's like ketchup next to the oatmeal, next to the maple syrup, all yeah. like like is that is he throwing all of that into this breakfast smoothie? Who knows? I'm not gonna lie, the the ketchup bothered me. I. <laughs> <laughs> It was stuff, and I was like, Heinz 57? <laughs> Andrew, go back and say, I'm yes. not going to lie, the ketchup bothered me. Right yeah. There. Uh, if any of us hear something, just put your hand up, and that way we know exactly when it is. Okay. Yeah, the Heinz uh, bo- ketchup, bo- it bothered me. It, it, didn't, it didn't mesh with everything else that was on that. And it was, again, it was a very contemporary thing in something that didn't, wasn't supposed to be. <laughs> I didn't even notice the ketchup bottle. Oh, because it's I was the looking at the, the color at the, in their apartment. You know what I mean? Like yeah. everything, everything that goes into his oatmeal smoothie is gray. Uh, <laughs> you know, and he's like, I have to, I have to refill the tank so I can fuck you again. Yeah, there's no trees in that world. Uh, his apartment has no homey touches to it. 
it be yeah. it, like it like uh exactly what sammy said a japanese hostel or just like the uh the the, the prison wing of the starship enterprise <laughs> the, the cell there's, block there's a lot of star trek crossover in this yeah um same composer um oh was it really yeah uh, uh jerry goldsmith uh, interesting several of the actors play very iconic roles in star trek um and um they even used the so some of the sets for Mars were used in some of the movies. Hmm. Yeah, and I think some of the the production design was strikingly similar too. Uh, yeah, and and like futuristic wise, you know, the technology that is in this movie, I think that there's a lot we can we can explore with that. Just a like lot of FaceTime. Yeah, yeah. Not there's bad FaceTime. <laughs> I mean, but it... a lot of lot of fix your eyeline FaceTime because that was weird. <laughs> Yeah, but they predicted where we're going to be, where we're at now, just like always on screens. Yeah, <laughs> but like at a payphone. <laughs> like they couldn't, predict, they couldn't predict personal device. Star Trek had predicted those personal devices 30 years before. And then, but like this movie's like, no, 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 no. We haven't gotten there yet. Yeah, like, and you're right, you're right. You can predict the future, but you don't know exactly how the things are going to be used, like GPS. Yeah. You know, they're tracking him with a GPS tracker, yeah. um, but it's a world where only a couple people have trackers versus yeah. the, the world we live in today where we're constantly snitching on ourselves. There, I don't know if this is a function of just, we don't have time to tell the extras what to do or, or if it's an actual world building thing, but it was interesting to me how speaking of like the, the future and whatever politics of this world exist, on earth, you notice that when people are running around with guns and firing everywhere, people are terrified. On Mars, there's literally a scene in the Mars Hilton where they're running, you know, Richter's running with guns and they're all running around. And some woman, literally, right before they get to the elevator, very nonchalantly just crosses the camera and she's like, well, whatever. Like they don't bat an eye at that shit on Mars, even the fancy people. Yeah, no, I get it. Well, what happens to a bunch of kids that are just uh, raised in a school shooting uh, everyday life? Yeah. You know, if people continue to have guns in the future and there's just more and more random killings, it becomes normalized. And uh, Mars is a colony that's got class struggle. So maybe they're just used to it. Like it's like growing up in El Salvador in like the early 80s in the middle of the Civil War or Chechnya. That's chilling. They're just like, whatever, shooting. Yeah, you're like, cool. I mean, yeah, there was a huge terrorist attack here, but daddy's got to get his coffee before work yeah. today. Oh, what did you want, rights? <laughs> <laughs> don't e they're like, don't even talk to me until I've had my frappe. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the movie, just to sort of jump on this one point really quickly, was it was said to take place in 2084. And Verhoeven said that he chose, they, they kind of agreed on that timeline because he cited Blade Runner as a movie that was, Blade Runner I think was supposed to take place in 20, the late 20 teens. And he said that their depiction of that era was too advanced for the timeline. So he wanted to shoot way past. So, you know, he could sort of rationalize using any, any uh, you know, technological advancements or just have like free will. Yeah. Uh, what other tech? They had the super security x-rays, mm -hmm. which uh, is kind of where we're going with TSA now. I mean, that's not too far away from what we have 
and uh, it would get rid of. Uh, I can imagine that being put in our subways, in, oh, in whatever sure. the whatever the new cities are after global warming destroys the coastlines on the east coast and west coast, and like the what let's say Lincoln, Nebraska becomes our new capital, and they have to build mass transit there. There will be uh, huge panel X-rays like that at all the entrances. Talk about a gray city. No, thank you. <laughs> I'll fucking move to no. Oh, I'll be dead. Who cares? I, no. The uh, the one thing that they have on here that I didn't ex- that I found to be like a, a novel, almost James Bond type tech was the hologram. Right. Yeah. Like the hologram was pretty cool. I don't I, know. I think Total Recall's pretty cool in terms of tech, like implanting memories. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess in terms of in terms of visual effects, I like how it's teased too with the um, with the tennis instructor. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Right. Which is something that you can do today on YouTube. Yeah. Is, uh, you know that 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 the way the chair and stone works out is what I do now with my phone and my seven minute workout app. Yeah, that was the futuristic uh, Jane Fonda tape, basically. <laughs> um, this was actually one of the last movies to not, like, it, it, they used miniatures almost exclusively when it came to set design and a lot of the, like, instead of CGI, which I thought it was, um, that was pretty cool. And it, you, you couldn't tell until you, uh, you know, knew. I would like to see what uh, Mexico City's subway actually looks like. Because I couldn't tell again if that was a miniature of a subway train or something they had just literally taken and quickly either put a wrap on it or painted it, you know, gunmetal gray. No, Mexico uh, City subway looks better than ours. It's newer, it's faster, but I think that was probably not a real subway. I don't yeah. think that was Mexico City. Yeah, no, it was. The subway station is a Mexico City subway wow, station. Wow, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, 1990. Well, sure. They don't yeah. have they don't have uh, TVs on the subway there. Yeah, I'll tell well, you I mean, that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Giant Samsungs. Uh, I mean, even the DC subway system was way more futuristic looking than New York's, even back then in 1990. Yeah, DC subway looks like uh, like it's in the Death Star when you go. It does. Around. It totally does. It looks like a tram in the Death Star. It <laughs> absolutely very, does. Uh, Logan's Run type of feel to it. I don't care. Agreed. And it had also like the, the other, it had a running man vibe to it. A lot of the aesthetics, like when he's walking through the, um, the airport for, before security kind of had that, uh, that running man theme to it. Mm-hmm. And also yeah. a uh, Latina uh, uh, love interest. Correct. In both running man and in, uh, and in this one, Total Recall. And apparently in real life too, he slept with his uh, Latin uh, housekeeper. Yeah, Had a, that's had a right. kid. That kid is a dead ringer for him. It's He's got a type. You've seen the picture. It's like, you're like, yeah, that's, there's no, there's no denying it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Ronan Farrow. Awesome. So here's a question for you guys. Which yeah. alternative uh, vacation identity would you have chosen? Oh. The top I... two were Tycoon and there was Rockstar and there was Secret Agent. Oh, I would have done Tycoon. Tycoon, eh? Yeah. Because like I, you know, I want to relax, and like as a secret agent, as to like run around and not get shot at. As a tycoon, it's first class all the way. You know what I mean? You're vacationing as a tycoon. Yeah, I'll do that. Thank you. Sure, I, sure. 
I, I like the idea. I think I would definitely go as the spy because I like the um, I like the uh, the class elevator that you get to ride as a spy. Like the tycoon doesn't get the same Venusville experience, well, and at, and if you're if you're in the spy game, you know that you're not going to die, so you get to have all of the risks without um, and you get you get to skin your knees, but you know that none of it's going to be fatal. But you don't know when you're in it. You don't know when you're in it. And that's the, that's the thing about that the, the spy one that I had an issue with. It, it seems like a lot of work for a vacation. Yes. <laughs> yes. This is my problem with it as well. Yeah. Like, if I were a spy in real life, very cool. I would love that. Maybe. I don't like getting shot at. Uh, it's never happened, but I don't think I would enjoy it. Um, you know what I mean? I don't see that as a way. Like, even paintball, I'm like, this sucks. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know what about what about this? It's like what vacations do you really remember? Let's there is say, no wrong answer. Yeah, like let's say you let's say you go to uh, uh, Jamaica, right? You're like I'm going to go to Jamaica, and you fly into Jamaica, and then they pick you up at the airport, and they take you in an armored car to the uh, to the gated um, private resort, mm-hmm. and then you leave after a week, and people are like, "What'd you do in Jamaica?" And you're like, "Oh man, every day I ate. It was great. Awesome. What else did you do?" There was a steel drum uh, j- reggae band that played for me and the 15 other white people yeah. that danced like zombies. I got this single braid in my hair. <laughs> you know, well, what, what did you learn about Jamaica? Oh, man. Uh, well, you know, the, co- the coffee from the Keurigs are really great at this resort. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that, to me, it's like, uh, I-, I don't think we remember the pleasant things as much as we remember the moments that we overcame something. It's true. I think you're speaking more to the uh, cruise ship faction of the vacationing world. <laughs> yeah. Who like, seem to have no need for any cultural integration. It's like, I just want to get coronavirus at this midnight buffet. Yeah. Uh, it's like, man, he's like, I just want to eat cake in like a different zip code. <laughs> There's a lot to be said for that. A change of scenery can be very refreshing. I'm not going yeah. to let you shit on how I vacationed. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> why you choose. about cultural immersion. Well, that's why vacations to like Dominican Republic and Jamaica have never interested me. It's like, why would you want to go exploit an impoverished culture and learn nothing and sit in a gated community? However, I agree with what Sammy said, but the idea of going as a tycoon, the best thing about going as a tycoon anywhere is that you could probably hunt people. (laughs) I mean, that's really, that's really the point of being rich is that instead of being an, uh, having people shooting at you is that you get them to run in the maze and then you shoot at them. <laughs> yeah, that's a very Patrick Bateman way of looking at things. I'm like, I'm not against it. Yeah. <laughs> there are lots of people I personally like to hunt. Oh yeah, Donald Trump Jr., top of the list. <laughs> in front of Trump Tower, I was going to work one day and um, I, was, I was crossing 57th Street and I see this dumb little fucker coming around the corner with a Starbucks cup and a secret service guy. And I was like, is that Don Jr.? And it was, and I was like, this is your moment. Okay, what are we gonna do? We gotta do something about this. We gotta make him feel bad about himself. And then I saw the secret service guy and I was like, yeah, I don't know what the lines are. I don't know what my first amendment rights are. Can I just shout anything I want? Or am I gonna get a lot of fucking trouble if I do this? You know what? I'm just gonna go to work, but I'm gonna give him some side eye. And I fucking did. Not meeting Don Jr. <laughs> you did it, Andrew. I used to know. You, you didn't. You didn't join the revolution. 
You yeah. didn't follow Kawato's lead. I did when I worked at Rock Center because I would come by the Fox Studios every morning. Um, and they, uh, the Fox and Friends used to be in a corner studio with the windows open like the Today Show, except no one wanted to go in and look. Um, so, uh, and I would like, it would be in the morning and I would see these dumb fuckers and I'd walk by and I would just like, stick like a freaking serial killer i must have been i probably didn't represent myself well but i would just kind of stop in and peer in with my coffee and just sort of like stare at them like a like someone like you know like an assassin um you know like someone creepy who you don't want probably hanging around like travis Uh, bickle standing outside of the uh election campaign headquarters in taxi driver well Mm -hmm. and then when i would see him because i would get coffee where a lot of those guys get coffee on my way into work and i saw who was it jason chaffetz Remember him? Little no. curly-haired uh, Mormon guy who led the Benghazi hearings against um, Hillary. I saw him getting coffee. And again, it was morning time. I wouldn't have all my faculties. I just, I stared him the fuck down. I went in there and I froze and I just went. And it made him so uncomfortable, he left. <laughs> That's who I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so maybe- Called maybe- glower power. Yeah, you're not down for the for the uh, armed insurrection like our mm-hmm. like our mutants on um, on Mars are. No, I prefer my insurrections to be passive aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I, I I rewatched this movie yesterday for the for the podcast, and I um I realized that I completely believe in uh, Kawadal's um uh, like view on mm-hmm. life. He he doesn't say very much, but there's one part where he he tells uh, Arnold's character Quaid. Um, you're not your memories. A man is defined by his actions. Yeah. He speaks in parables. Yeah. But that, I, I totally believe that. It's kind of like, you know, uh, fuck your feelings. Nobody cares what you think. It's oh, simply the only thing that matters is what you do yep. in any situation. And so action, you have to be a man of action. And, I think staring uh, people down is very active. Yeah. Andrew, oh, yeah. There's, there's still a place for you in Quado's army. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. I'm on the right side of history. <laughs> yeah, we'll just we, we need you to text when uh when when the right people when people are in the right place. Yeah, you're a okay. lookout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for like you're a whistleblower. <laughs> I'm a little sneak like that. I can do that. <laughs> That's just fine. Um, that uh, Kawato, that is something like another nightmare scene for me. This movie was so unpleasant for me. Mm-hmm. I don't remember loving it as a kid. Uh, I loved um, RoboCop. I, I put that in the same category a lot more. Mm. Uh, this movie, is, it, I don't want to say it scared me. That's not true. But it just <laughs> was uh, unsettling with its body horror. A it's lot of like body horror. The body horror element. And like the king of body horror to me is Cronenberg. Uh, but this is like Verhoeven's a close second. And the, the ugliness of Coatl you know yeah as sort of like a tumor on the inside yeah. of this guy's chest being the hero and it makes you really question like well what who are you know what's wrong with me as a viewer that i'm judging these good people based on their aesthetics like dean norris's vagina face or like the little girl with like half of her face is like um, um yeah a big tumor 
the mutants are really hard to look at. Um, <laughs> Benny's teeth were really hard to look at. Yeah. Like, really, and like, I have a thing about teeth. I don't like seeing fucked up teeth, like, because I'm worried about my own teeth. I haven't been to a dentist in probably a decade. So like, it's my own internal bullshit, but like, it freaks me out. I don't like teeth stuff. Sure, sure. Yeah. Do you and ever he, have dreams he, where your teeth are falling out in your dreams? That They say that's about money. They say okay. you're worrying about money if you do that. And I have that dream often. <laughs> Mm -hmm. i wake up and i'm like you're all there yeah okay good if i lost teeth i'd probably get gold teeth like i'd want to look like a jack sparrow pirate you definitely have the uh, the, (laughs) you could pull that off (laughs) i would want to like i would i don't have a problem with gold teeth just make it consistent you know what I mean? Like you got to go full C-3PO gold fronts or, or nothing because just the one or two, it catches the eye wrong. I think that's, that's the nice. thing. I want the one or two. I want the thing where I smile and then there's like a glint and people go, what? They're not even evenly spaced. There's like one here and then one just over here. That yes, man. <laughs> yes. It's uh, man. I, I know. know trim company some guy left his gold fronts on the table and didn't tip me and his gold fronts disappeared no one knows what happened (laughs) um well uh and and it's uh this movie is um related to other philip k dick movies or storylines in this is is a philip it's based off of philip k dick story yeah yeah Uh, and he doesn't have one world that all of his stories live in, but they all feel related. So, like, if you like Blade Runner, this is in the same vein as Blade Runner, like yeah. off-world colonies. And Minority Report is another Bla- is another Philip K. Dick story with psychics. Yeah. So here we've got mutants that are psychic mutants. It's crazy. Yeah, to think that way. I mean, they're, they, one of the, the the first one of the protesters that got uh, snagged in a van in Portland referenced that he thought he felt like he was in a philip k dick novel (laughs) right and philip Um, k dick was uh did a ton of drugs and was a futuristic he was a a writer that really predicted where we were going in a lot of ways and his work is all filled with um both paranoia and with um people's illusions of uh who they really are right and and uh, verhoven is a filmmaker who really works with those things so well like he also has this idea of like identity and paranoia that he works with. So it's like a perfect um, uh, complimenting to have that writer and this director together. And then to shoehorn that into American culture of, of the 90s, still very much the Reagan era, even though it's Bush as president, you know what I mean? And the go-go, um, you know, America sort of mentality, I think, had the Gulf War started? Yeah, but we're like in the middle of the Gulf War at this point. I'm, pr- I'm proud to be an <laughs> It was like, you know, every kid in elementary school was singing at that time and you'd stand up when you say, I stand up. Um, yeah, right. it's, it's, it's weird. It's, it's, an, it's an awkward um, wedge fitting into American culture for that period. I mean, it works better now, I think, as a movie than it Sorry. Oh, you want to run no. that one back? Yeah, yep, go back to it was an awkward wedge. Yeah, it's an awkward wedge to have that 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 idea into American culture of the '90s when when you have you know, sorry, where did I did I get the the um, fucking 
proud to be an American. Was that in there? Nah. Yeah. I get cut off. No, you're it's in there. It's in there. Okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's an awkward wedge fitting those ideals into American culture in, you know, coming out of Reaganism, still very much Bush is still Reaganism, you know what I mean, in 1990 in the, in the Gulf War. Um, very, it fits now. It, 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 it's more contemporary than it, than it would at the time. It's, uh, it's, it's surprising that this was such a hit because it feel, it's such a complicated movie and it's got a lot of subversive ideas in it. Uh, and it's surpri- one thing that surprises me is that it, I think the thing that made it a hit is Arnold. Oh, yeah. Arnold being in it because he, they wanted, uh, the story lent itself to having kind of a nerdy uh, Dilbert-like office mm-hmm. drone being the guy that becomes the, spy, the super spy. Well, and, and if yeah. he's our if he's our proxy too, I mean, you know, you're going you're going to see an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie again. This guy is like very he's very Reagan. He's a freaking Kennedy. You know, he's married he's married to one of the Kennedys at this point. Um, you know, he's like prime like the American dream. Poor comes over from Austria. Like, so you're you're not you know what I mean? Like, he, it's easy to follow him if that's the America that you're living in at the time. Mm-hmm. Right, right, it, and it's almost a, uh, it's a, it's a dissonant key, in in the song. Like, like the 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 perfect movie would not have on paper. He doesn't work. Yeah. Oh yeah. On paper, you pick uh, a different actor to be this character. You get they actually Swayze was originally cast, Ugh. and oddly enough, <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger was supposed to be RoboCop. Yeah, too big, too big. You need a little guy to be in that suit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I do like the eighties and nineties tropes, especially like after the, you know, during and after Reagan is, is there's always, you know, America's film always has a specific set of bad guys. Russians always, no matter what the time frame is, even in, in reality, um, you have middle Eastern terrorists and then you always have uh, white corporate psychos. Is like the you know in, in these especially these dystopian futures, it's always a corrupt white business guy, which is exactly right. Now we found a way in reality to meld them all together into one tight knit package. Does a really good job though of letting those guys just chew their scenery. They these guys relish playing these bad guys. It's so fun to watch them. Like I. I don't know that I would call it overacting, but it's real close. And yeah, I feel like, but it's enjoyable. You know what I mean? It, it yeah. totally works. I feel like it needs to be over the top, uh, you know, act, acting wise, to, to really hammer the point home. Now, I might be wrong, but I think I mean you guys can check me on this one. It's this, the, the the same main villain, uh, Cohagen. He he was the same villain from RoboCop. No. Yeah, it's yeah, di- yeah. basically uh, Cohagen is Dick Jones in space. Right. Exactly. He's, uh, and and uh, it's. I wonder if I think it's because uh, Verhoeven and Philip K. Dick uh, have are more critical of the U.S. that they pick these white businessmen as mm-hmm. their villains. It is corporate heads that are the villains in these. I um, don't. It's anti-American almost. I don't know that it. I is. get that a lot. Um, because they are, they're portrayed as very successful, um, very stylish. Very um, almost sexy. 
I'm, in a in a way. I I don't mean actually. <laughs> Powers but, an aphrodisiac. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, they're you know like, I I don't know. It's I don't I don't know. It's a commentary so much on that. You know, the whole world at that time too was like, yay, business. I mean, maybe not the artists, but I mean the money that they were making because they're not they're not. I don't know. They're not like warlords. You know what I mean? It's their, it's ultimately their greed, which I can see your point there, but it's everything else about them except their greed for the time says we should be on your side. Yeah. You know? I mean, they're, they're class warlords. Yeah. Yeah. Their, their evil is, um, their evil is filtered by the fact that it's the evil of policy. They don't pull the, the trigger themselves. Mm-hmm. But Cohagen is yeah. able to cut off the air supply for an entire section of the colony. And that to me is the same as uh, like that Governor Schneider in uh, Michigan deciding to divert uh, toxic wastewater into the taps of all of the citizens in Detroit. Did you notice how- Or Cohagen- Flint, Flint. Every time, every time Cohagen was on the the camera phone, he would make the call, but he was never facing the camera when the call started. It was he was turning into it. He always be like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> you know what I mean? It was a and it was a very like choicey thing to do. It was one of my favorite things. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He's uh so he's the big bad in this movie, but we haven't talked about Richter at all. Michael Ironside, who's an amazing actor, R.I.P. He also recently passed away. What? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, last week. But um, I know, crazy, right? So, uh, but he is, uh, as Richter, is like the most sympathetic bad guy. And I sent you to this article from Den of Geeks, which kind of like described him that way. But I wrote down uh, on my notes, like, oh man, Richter is a cuck. Because- He's he's like not the worst guy. He, I mean, I understand why he's angry. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger has been sleeping with his wife or girlfriend the whole movie, and, and she's not. She's not like she's totally not like that bothered by it. She's nowhere near as bothered by it as Richter is. That's right. That's right. Yeah. They Which both is, have a job to do, and he's yeah. just got to eat it because he's an employee. You know, he's middle management who's being yelled at by the top, doesn't know what the policies really are. And he's being told to like bring Arnold back uh, in one piece and every bone in his body just wants to murder Arnold for his own well, honor. Yeah, and they like, and they have history too. Like he knows him as Hauser, right? Like they work <laughs> together and they're friends as Hauser, but now that he's been cucked, and this is all, I don't know, I don't know why this guy doesn't turn against Cohagen. It doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? That he's not like, well, why? Because why? Why would you keep this guy alive? Why? It does, it does not compute to me that Arnold Schwarzenegger, that, that, you know, after whatever happened, like, boom, kill him, done. Then your whole thing is fine. Right. I- Right. Well, so the plot is a little convoluted, but the the whole idea is that you need to have somebody that doesn't know that they're working for the agency infiltrate uh, the terrorist organization or rather the freedom fighters to get to Kawato. It can't be somebody that knows uh, that they are undercover. Oh, that's right. Because of he's, they're all, because all the mutants are psychic and they can't. It's uh, it's like Reggie Jackson in the naked gun. 
Exactly. <laughs> and and this is a legit paranoid fantasy from the 60s through, I'd say today, but like the idea of an agent provocateur uh, infiltrating a, um, uh, like a, like a, like a civil rights organization, you know? Um, but even worse than that is like, what if you could put somebody into a group and then activate that sleeper cell, mm. you know, an assassin that doesn't know they're an assassin and then becomes one naked gun talked about it. But it's like, when we look at any of these guys that killed, like the guy that killed uh, Bobby Kennedy, it's like, <laughs> Saran Saran, like, does that guy know? <laughs> Naked why he did it talked about it like <laughs> <laughs> yo i get my i was politically uh radicalized by naked gun everybody <laughs> no like naked gun really makes a lot of salient points <laughs> <clears throat> smart it's smarter than you think oh my god but uh, our government has been working on these on these uh these projects uh since the 50s with mk ultra and using hallucinogens to try to wipe people's minds and get right. them and activate them. They did it to the Unabomber. <laughs> yeah, Ted Kaczynski is like a real life uh, Quaid. Mm -hmm. It's true. Those Ted I, Cruz. It, it, <laughs> so it and, took me a second. And Ted Cruz is the Zodiac Killer. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> of something. Um, Sammy. Yeah. Yeah. It, so when you ask me why I picked this movie, it, it, I mean. I, I, it took me a little bit to get warmed up as to why, but I mean, obviously now that we're talking about it after I've seen it and after I've, my brain started functioning, it's because I, there's a lot of um, stuff that reminded me of uh, sort of this corporate entity running or posing as a, as a government figure to, to run and an authoritarian guy, you know, basically waging war on insurgents. Um, and that's kind of why I thought it was kind of relatable. Um, so there oh, we yeah. go. <laughs> uh, yeah, nothing. Uh, this this movie is evergreen, and it's and it's uh, the tie between government and big business, and yeah. uh, extracting value from from the land, and well, poison, I mean, and poisoning the, the poor people. Mars before a government does. That's exactly what it's gonna be. It's gonna be Tesla's moon or whatever the fuck he wants to call it with X four eight twelve and whatever other children he has. Like fuck that's that. that's fuck that guy. <laughs> By the way, Elon Musk is a fucking jerk off. Hell yeah! Welcome to the yeah. Opinions Podcast. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> Let him know. Uh, what does I would love some billionaire telling me what the uh, unemployed American people need. But sorry, continue, Andrew. Sorry, oh, I forgot what I was talking about. My apologies. No worries. It's okay. Quarantine. Things don't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah, okay, so mining on Earth, mining on Mars, sleeper cells. Uh, any other any any other scenes before we wrap it up today, guys, that yeah. uh, jump out at you as your favorite factory? Um, when he has to take the tracker out of his nose and with the rats? COVID test. Oh my God. <laughs> That was so cool and all the gross, <laughs> but also just the way the rats converged. It was so interesting, the whole thing with the rats. Like, cause he, he, there's like four rats on a table where he needs to set up his little laptop so he can watch himself, talk to himself. And he wipes away the rats, but one rat remains. And he's like, cool, there's a rat here. And that's the rat that eats the, um, <clears throat> uh, 
uh, it just stays there by the laptop the whole time. It eats the, the tracker. tracker yeah. And it's just like the, the quick, they have these smash cuts to like all the rats trying to eat the chocolate and the, the, um, with the tracker mashed into it. It was so gross. Yeah. Brat gets murdered, you know? Yeah. Gorily. Uh, well, everything is gore. There's blood everywhere. But so, I, mean, you know, I, I guess that's your earlier point, isn't it? Can I ask you a question, guys, without breaking the fourth wall here? Have, has your opinion of a movie ultimately changed for better or for worse during a discussion, during, during one of our, our, our discussions? Uh, I think in exploring these films more deeply to get ready for the podcast, I've uh, learned to love some of them that I didn't like before. Mm -hmm. And I have gotten insight um, listening to other people talk about the movies. Yeah. Particularly on broadcast news last time, uh, I didn't think about um, the uh, the love triangle as actually being the th three like aspects of media mm -hmm. all together, which was a point that you made. Yeah. So I... It's hard for me to answer that because this is, like I said, this is the first time we've done a movie that I've seen before, before doing the podcast. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the previous three I had never seen before, so I watched them for, for this. Mm -hmm. um, and usually the discussion tends to reinforce the opinion that I had when I watched it. I, I definitely, I think the two different perspectives that you guys have will highlight things that I had never thought of. Yeah. Um, but with this, you know, no, my opinion, how I feel, like it's a, it's a, it's a classic. And I, I think you get really why no one caught onto the, the subtle um, subversiveness of the movie because at its heart, like what you would think of when you watch this movie, it's just a classic, fun action sci-fi movie. You, you would know? think, right? Yeah, yeah. But now it's like it's this uh, pro-environment, anti-colonialism, <laughs> uh, you know, watching this guy spout up these uh, divisive dog whistles about lazy mutants. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, well, it's layered. I was, and, and, um, the, I think a scene that I love the most watching it this time through that I didn't think about at all in the past was after Arnold and Melina, I'm going to, or Quaid and Melina get kidnapped or they get captured and they get put in a uh, mind wiping chairs. So, uh, Cohagen's like, I'll see you at the party later tonight. Melina's going to be your lover. And, uh, okay. Erase their brains. And then, uh, right after that, Arnold breaks out of his restraints and violently stabs these dudes in the neck. All in he kills neck. like ten, uh, yeah. like Gary Larson scientists, <laughs> just like breaking their necks, stabbing their faces, like blood splurting everywhere. And it's so gory. And Melina is in her restraints, watching her mm. lover uh, just animalistically tear these dudes apart. And then he releases her from her her binds, and she uh, romantically kisses him. And they're like, okay, let's go. And that encapsulates like Verhoeven's style to me and like both his hyper violence and his sense of humor. Yeah. All and, in and, one and, scene. And that was the, so the, the, the over the top aspect of the violence was done to better fit um, Arnold's talents is what is, is was what Verhoeven's quoted as saying. 
and that yeah. wasn't a knock on him. But all the act, the hardest acting they made him do was him struggling and squirming in chairs, basically looking like <laughs> a, a tragic yeah. hemorrhoid Ow. sufferer. That was a clear Hulk when he because he hulks out essentially is what he does, yeah. and it was very clear like, oh oh now we're gonna it's happening it's happening you know oh, he's gonna be strong enough to break out of it because he's, he's <laughs> being strong. Ah, uh, now we get it. It's like it's like in Django Unchained. When you're like, where's the violence? And then you get to that scene at the house, you're like, there it is. You know what I mean? You're like waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting. You're like, okay, eh, I got a little appetizer. I got a little, where's what we all came to see? And then you get it. And it's so satisfying. That That's what I, I was thinking that when I watched it last night too. I'm like, oh, I bet audiences were like, yeah, here it is. All right. But it's also him killing scientists. Lots of scientists. Hilarious to me. It's not soldiers. It's not mercenaries. It's not toughs. It's dudes in lab coats. Yeah, but they're evil scientists. They're like Mengelis. <laughs> right. They are fucking nefarious. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they're definitely evil. It's just like even, you know, it's like walking into a room full of like puppies that will one day be like vicious attack dogs. And well, just like punching <laughs> I think they're a little more the complicit than that. And I, I alluded to this earlier, and it is genuinely, I, I specifically remember when I watched this movie last summer, um, making an Insta story about this one part of the movie because it's so fucking funny. When he got <laughs> recall and um, and they're like, oh no, man, he was programmed by the agency. And then the lady doctor just hauls off and slaps the guy and says, shut up! <laughs> it out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> there was no need to slap him on the face. Yeah, And it is. It is gratuitous violence that isn't harmful at all compared to everything else that happens in the movie. But that it really does set the tone of like, we are being watched, we have to do this, so let's enjoy it. You know what I mean? And they, yeah. they, they do, because they do their, even, even when it's before you know what's going on, they're like, oh yeah, you're gonna love this brunette girl, 41A, you know what I mean? And they're like, the two, the two techs that are getting him ready, the doctors, they're like kind of horny for him. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's right. Scientists. I don't like scientists in this movie, uh, you know, so maybe they deserve to die. Well, it's a weird mix of like health and commerce, you know, it's uh, yeah. because, because it's a, uh, it's a scientific opera. It's a medical procedure being done to them, but it's an elective. And whenever you have something elective, we have to add this level of uh, sales to it. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Sleazy. Cause he doesn't meet with a doctor. He meets with a salesperson. Right, <laughs> to, for 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 massive brain augmentation. Yeah, yeah, but um, that's like big pharma in general. You're not the ph pharmaceutical reps aren't scientists. They're usually attractive women. That's right. That's right. I mean, and I guess that's the critique of like, Trojan horse of of melding science and commerce. Yeah, and so we see that here uh, as like the, an extreme elective procedure. It's crazy how incredibly political this movie is compared to what you would think it was, given like an you know an Arnold Schwarzenegger futuristic shoot 'em up, you know, film move action movie. Right. But it has it's not. It's not Commando. <laughs> no, it's not. It's definitely not Commando. And it's like you'd even think like obviously there was political statements made by the writer and the director, but also I mean, people discount the fact that Arnold's a politician. <laughs> he thinks this way, you know? He, he, that's so funny that you say that, because, like, he totally <laughs> wasn't then, even though he was a Kennedy. Um, but his mind still works that way. I mean, he he gets, I think he gets a little bit less credit than he deserves for being smarter than he is. He's... Smarter than he's perceived. 
Well, absolutely. He's actually like, or was perceived. He did not turn out to be the worst governor California ever had. You know what I mean? Like, would I have preferred someone who knew what they were doing? Yeah. But like, was he the, was, was he awful? No. You know what I mean? Is he way more liberal than any Republican you'll see today? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're going mean, to look, the Republican Party had some, you know, pre selling their souls, had some moral values that you couldn't really argue with in certain aspects. They weren't always the worst people on earth. This is, this is a, a little testament to kind of how savvy he is, though. So this will be quick, but like, so the recall election um, was started by Daryl Issa, the, you know, the kind of scuzzy congressman Daryl Issa. He lost his bid for governor and then. Um, decided to fund the recall himself so that he could get himself into the office that way. And then when the whole fucking world cracked open and everybody started running, that's when Arnie jumped in uh, to run and it completely sucked all the oxygen out of the race. Um, And even though the guy who paid for the recall to get himself elected uh, was was still there, uh, when when Arnold jumped into the race, then I had to be like, oh, never mind. I guess it didn't work. And that's how Arnold Schwarzenegger got into the governor's office. That's insane to me and hilarious. Savvy. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and, and you see, like, you do see um, better acting from Arnold in this than I think um, uh, he's given credit for. And one place where I noticed that was when he is Hauser on the video talking to Quaid in real life. And I like I like that Arnold he has the range of being uh, a shitty Hauser and an idiot Quaid at the same time. Yeah, no. he's two dimensional. <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't. He has the range of Paul Verhoeven saying, "Okay, is this one just smile? <laughs> okay, in this one, you look a little confused. What's going on?" <laughs> I mean, that's sometimes that's all you need. I'm in in a lot of ways. Arnold is like uh, he's a Jason Voorhees of uh, of American action, and like earlier, Sammy, you brought up. Well, he's got this accent, and that seems incongruous. And it's like, yeah, it, it you're totally right. And I think it fits into our propaganda that the U.S. is trying that any immigrant can come here and become if you are the right type of immigrant you can become an American citizen. You can assimilate gracefully, yeah. And Arnold's strength is, Arnold is just a brute force. And that's why I brought him up as Jason. Like no one's watching an Arnold movie to watch him be graceful and like, uh, and nimble and agile. He's- I don't know, that tank in in True Lies is pretty graceful. And that's, yeah, uh, who's that? That's James Cameron. And that's like a little bit later in his career. Right, but when we're Not thinking about eighties, a couple of years later, that's like ninety four, I think. Sure. Well, like, wh- when was Arnold? Arnold's heyday as his first iteration of, as an action star would be like eighty, eighty four to ninety to T two. I'd say. Mm-hmm. So that's like ninety two, eighty four to ninety two. There's a type of Arnold. Yes. That, True. Yeah. Where you can't you can't expect too much out of him, <laughs> range, shall we say range wise? He's just bigger and stronger than everybody, and that's kind of what we were into. Yeah, I mean that's all Hollywood marketing and promotion. I mean he's he's packaged that way, he's PR'd that way. Well, and look, he's not a terrible actor by any means because he can he does carry these movies and he carries them well. You know what I mean? Um, but it's a it's a lane. 
It's a very it's specific a, Yeah, absolutely. It's and like, it's okay. and yeah, I mean, it's just a type. It's a type of like hero that we're going to see. Whereas if you watch like Die Hard, uh, Bruce Willis starts bringing around a different type of action hero. Like yeah. the guy that's barefoot, that gets bloody, that is, uh, you can almost believe might lose. Yeah, he's at a bald every man. At no point do you believe that Arnold is going to lose. Yeah. Agreed. So who do you think Arnold Schwarzenegger's successor is? In that, <laughs> is it like The Rock or Vin Diesel? I would say it's closer to The Rock than Vin Diesel, probably. Is there a difference between the two? Yes. Ta ta talent, maybe? It's, Aff uh, affability? Oh, The Rock, for sure, yeah. Oh, come on. Between him and, yeah. No, I mean, I don't know. Vin Diesel. He spawned a whole different sect of the, the less of a need for like this brute strength uh, yeah. aspect, but he was my favorite muscle bound action star. I mean, I liked him better than Sylvester Stallone for in those roles and better than Jean-Claude Van Damme and better than, you know, whoever else fit into that category back then. I don't know who it was. Remember when Howie Long tried to occupy that space for a little bit? Yeah, Broken Arrow. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, he's a broken. Yeah, that, that's it. Broken Arrow. Yeah. Well, guys, final thoughts on mm. uh, Total Recall. Um, I'll, I'll go first. I, I, lo I, I loved it more now than I did then. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. It's smart because it's smarter than, I, than my 10 year old brain could recognize. You know, I didn't look into global policy and environment, you know, and, and anything that had to do with any political ramifications this movie might have had. I, was, I saw three titties and a bunch of dead people, and I was like, this is the best. <laughs> um, but I think it's like a much smarter, cooler movie than I remember it being. I mean, this is actually probably the one that I was the most surprised with that I've that I've, I've rewatched that I actually really liked more. I mean, there's obviously a huge need for suspension of disbelief throughout most of it, which is fine because that's what these movies are, especially in science. If you got me to like a science fiction movie, you've done something right. Uh, so for me, rewatching this, it gets uh, nine nine out of ten. Um, orphan porridge smoothies. <laughs> uh, I think for me, <coughs> this is so much about the experience of watching a movie. To me, is the is the experience of watching a movie, and like there are certain movies that I will watch during specific times of year because it just fits the mood, right? You know mm -hmm. what I mean. This is such a great summer movie. You know what I mean? It's a summer action. You can, you can tune in or out of the movie and still be up with what's going on. You just, you might not be as attuned to the nuances and the like, the subtle politics, not so subtle politics in it. If you're not, you know, if you're kind of in and out of it a little bit or you're on your phone when you're watching it, it works either way. There, it, cause it is, it is for a movie that has, you know, the three titted women and a drag, you know, a huge death count. It is layered. It is. And um, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. And I, I, you know, it's, I think it'll probably join the summer rotation with, you know, like Jaws and Field of Dreams and, you know, Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, rewatching re this movie now, I watch it so much less for Arnold than I did probably as the entry point when I was little. Mm -hmm. Now Arnold is the least interesting part of it to me. Not to say that he's bad at all, but you know, I love watching Ronnie Cox and I loved his performance as Dick Jones and RoboCop and the continuation of that here. 
and I loved Michael Ironside's Richter. So watching it for them, and then also to see that Sharon Stone was not yet the superstar, and that her performance in this got her cast in uh, uh, later on in Basic Instinct. Like uh, now, I watch it with appreciation for these like side actors. Um, I also everything that horrified me and put me off about the movie as a kid. I love now. I love all the body horror and the practical effects, and uh, and I love Kawato. So that those are the reasons that I like this. And um, and the colonizing Mars as a concept seems so not cool, but it seems so uh, prescient, and it relates to like all of my studies of colonial colonialization before this. So I give this movie. Um, I give it a seven out of 10 uh, Johnny Cab Robots on Fire. Oh, I didn't do a, I didn't do a, a Total Recall specific. <laughs> Hold on. Hold on. Uh, okay, I give this, um, uh, what's a good one? All right, I give it probably eight out of 10 um, uh, Mutants Suffocating. Yes, eyes bulging. <laughs> uh, when when the, I love when they're out on the the landscape of Mars. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> Worst death best. ever for Cohagen. Oh yeah, deserved. Yeah. Well, uh, guys, uh, thanks again for for joining us on this podcast, uh, Andrew Harris. Thank you for thank you for being our third mic today. Oh, thanks for the fourth time. Yeah, it was yeah. a genuine pleasure. Um, oh, should I promote something? Yeah, you have anything anything coming up? A move back to California? Do you need roommates? Uh, do you have any projects you're working on? I do. One of the projects I'm working on is not needing to afford roommates, um, but I do need two, so you can hit me up on my Instagram. <laughs> Andrew <laughs> Harris. Uh, and every Wednesday on uh, the pit, Facebook page, Facebook Live. Uh, you can catch me and my team, Barnaby Thatcher, having some fun improv, Zoom improv, which is, uh, which is a fun way to distract yourself for a little bit, whether you're doing it or watching it. So that's what I got going on. Awesome, man. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, well, uh, you can you can uh, tune into my uh, stand-up show, Funhouse Comedy every Wednesday at 9.30 on Zoom. And uh, you can follow me at GabePacheco.com. All right. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining. Yeah, rate, review, and subscribe, friends. All right. Thanks. We'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>